you know, obviously, fuck, who cares what I think? I'm a total dipshit, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? I'm your host, Des, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Lynn. B for booze. And back for another horror movie, the podcaster with a degree in terror, Tony. Hey, how's it going? All right. Today, we will be discussing the 1974 holiday horror classic, Black Christmas, written by Roy Moore, directed by Bob Clark, and starring Margaret Kidder and John Saxon. As always, this podcast will be filled with spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it, and then come back and listen to the podcast. But before we get into it, let's run the trailer. My mother's taking a place up at Mont Holly. Does anyone else want to come? Yeah. Sounds like fun. Great. How about you, Claire? Uh, no thanks, Barb. I've made some other plans. Jingle bell, 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 jingle Supposed to meet my daughter here. Her name's Claire Harrison. Do you know her? I'm sure you'll find her at the fraternity house. Have you seen Claire today? No one knows where she is. No, not since last night. Hello? Hello? Some of the girls are over here today, but I haven't seen Claire. Well, what the hell are you planning to do about it? Ninety percent of the time, girls are reported missing from the college. They're at a cabin somewhere with a boyfriend. A high school girl's been murdered. Claude? 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 obviously upset about something i'd like to talk to him can you tell me where i might reach him the caller is in the house All right, guys, would you like a synopsis? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's Christ- every week, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> During their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. Okay. okay. <laughs> Short, simple, gets the job done. Love it. <laughs> All right. So let me give you guys um, my opening thoughts quickly. With a budget of $620,000 and a box office gross of $4.1 million, you would think this movie would have been considered a success, but um, it actually was not considered a success. Um, 
which is strange because $21 million today is what $4.1 million um, was back then. So it made a shitload of money, but um, they didn't consider it a, uh, a success. Um, also, I have a theory on why this did not become a franchise and take off like Friday the 13th or Halloween, even though I think it had a much creepier plot with a potentially scarier and more believable killer than the other two movies did. But um, I will reveal that in my final thoughts. But those are my opening thoughts. And just quickly, let me give you a couple of fun facts on this one. Um, Margaret, Margaret Kidder was actually drinking Margo. booze. Margot Kidder was actually drinking booze um, in all her scenes. So that's why she was looking drunk. It wasn't great acting. She was just buzzed. Um, <laughs> the murders were all originally supposed to be more graphic, but Bob Clark and Roy Moore thought it would be more effective if they toned the murders down, which I'm not sure I agree with completely, but um, I do get it. They were shooting for more of a psychological thriller than a uh, slasher movie. So, I mean, I guess it works in that in that aspect. And Elvis Presley loved this movie and actually watched it every Christmas Eve as a ritual, which I thought was kind of cool. And it has been speculated that this movie was based on Ted Bundy's murders in the Quebec sorority house, even though Roy Moore does deny it and says that this was a completely original um, story that he wrote that had nothing to do with that and it's also based on the urgent on the uh, urban legend the babysitter and the man upstairs which we've all heard the phone call is coming from inside the house so oh, yeah. those are my opening thoughts and my fun facts and i will turn it over to tony for your opening thoughts um i i this is one of those ones i i i'm right there with elvis i guess good company <laughs> watch it every christmas Eve. it's not christmas until i i watch uh, black christmas house anyway it's just a classic i mean it's it's an unnerving movie in my opinion in the, in the sense it's it doesn't have the jumps you know horror has become known for i mean this was made in 74 I man i literally was four years old when this movie came out and right. i'm sorry but it still holds up today as far as like a under your skin you know the topics of the day kind of with the the, the women i'm i'm making the choice for my body you know with the mm -hmm. baby and yes that later but yeah it's it, it holds up i mean the acting isn't the best the the lighting isn't the best it's not the best in anything it does but man it's definitely in the as far as the genre goes right yeah. right um one more thing was uh the role of peter was offered to malcolm mcdowell and he regrets turning it down to this day um i thought the guy that played it was basically ted bundy i mean the guy looked just like him he was fine for me i I thought he was the killer right from the jump. So he had Bundy vibes for sure. Yeah, he definitely did. Uh, Delane, glad we're your opening thoughts on this one. All right. So my first thought is when Tony picked it, I was like, okay, well, I've heard of this movie, but I've never seen it. So I went and I watched the trailer and I was like, oh no, this movie is going to be complete garbage. How am I going to, how am I going to do this? The, spoiler alert. It's not. The trailer is freaking terrible, but the movie is not bad. But the trailer was so bad. I was like, I can't sit through this. What am, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. pleasantly surprised when I started watching it. Like, I literally paused it about 10, 15 minutes in, and I went out to Des, and I was like, this actually isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, this is actually pretty good. I'm enjoying it so far. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah. So 
don't believe the trailer <laughs> and give it a try if you haven't watched it already. That's my first thought. Um, my second thought is this is another one of those movies to me that an inanimate object becomes part of the movie. And to me, this house is like another character. Um, that staircase and like the shots of empty rooms. And like, it was very, like Des said, the psychological thriller aspect of it comes into play. You know, instead of that, like, crazy slasher energy you get like this kind of what's going on energy and a lot of it is this feeling of impending something's going to happen from these empty rooms and just like also very mindful uh music so yeah well what was funny is i'd never seen this movie before i mean i had heard about it and i think like tony said i was about the same age when it came out and i do remember people talking about this movie and about how you know the killer is in the house and thinking how scary that would be um and as i was watching this movie it's funny it this movie could have been like the best horror movie of all times and it just missed the mark a little bit, but it was one of those movies where as I was watching it, the misses were so close that I could see the movie that I think they intended to show me, even though they didn't show it to me. And I will get into that at the end. But one thing I want to say right off the bat was they did miss an opportunity by not giving the killer a iconic piece of music like ch -ch -ch, or the do, 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 do. You know what I mean? Right. So, had they come up with that Jaws music or that Friday the 13th music or that Halloween music for our killer, who we'll get into, I think it would have um, held a lot more weight. Yeah. I mean, I think that this predates all of those, right? When it yeah, was except for maybe Jaws. Yep. Jaws was uh, yeah. 75, 76. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, predating it. And I, I definitely will mention this later on, but there is part of it that you can see the fingerprints of this movie on Halloween, you oh, know? Definitely. Yeah. So like, I was oh. like, Oh, I was like, this is where they got it for Halloween. Like I was like, okay, okay. So yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Carpent Carpenters denied a lot of it, but in certain interviews, he's like, of course, black Christmas was the, I'll say Halloween was the grandfather. No, it was, it was black Christmas. Black Christmas started it all. Thank I you, think, Tony. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. And I think like, as far as quote unquote slasher movies go, like what's before this psycho and people keeping Tom was the first one that right. had the point of view for the killer. This was the set. So gotcha. everyone's like, well, Halloween, you know, you're looking through the mask. It was like black Christmas did it, you know, six years before yep. keeping Tom was the first original because keeping Tom was a, a, a photographer killing people with his tripod. So he filmed them. Oh, that's right. You were telling he was us killing this. them. So that had to be point of view. This was the same way. It was an easy way to get around showing, who this person was and that's right. what i think i love the most about this movie is you know nothing you think you know something but by the end of it you're like wow okay yeah that's we were wrong <laughs> that's the charm and the downfall of this movie in my opinion and where again they missed the mark just by such an eyelash that i i forgive it and I just wish that, you know, I just wish it was a little different than it was. And I want to get into it because I really, it's funny. I thought I was going to hate this movie even when I was watching it. And then when the credits ran, I was like, fuck, that could have been one of the best horror movies I ever saw. And it was so close to being that, that I forgive it. And I, uh, I just wish I could have been in the room with the guy been like, Hey, let's just do this and that. I think it'd be a better movie. And, you know, obviously fuck who cares what I think I'm a total dipshit, but yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I think yeah, I just I, got my intro. I, I mean, I know what I know. I think I know where you're going to be going with it. And I, and I understand because a lot of people do. But I think what makes this movie as perfect as it is, is the fact that there's no major music. There is no theme. The right. sounds you get. And the, I'm sorry, but the scariest movies for me are movies that you just become completely immersed in. And by immersed, I mean, a lot of 70s movies do this. There's a movie called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. There's almost no music. There's the sound of wind. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the scariest, unnerving things you have to deal with because you've got, you got the fish out of water kind of atmosphere. There's a movie in 1980 called Dead and Buried. Same kind of thing. It's grainy. It's cold looking. And it doesn't have music that stands out. It's all background sounds. And I know I'm jumping way ahead. But the it's best fun. thing about the final credits is that there's no theme. There's carolers. And, a phone and the phone ringing. ringing. And the, and the phone, phone ringing. Oh my God, and the phone. Fucking beautiful. Yeah. That now, was so unnerving. And what little movie that uh, music there was, it was that discordant, like piano plucking. And it was it was the sound of him smashing the piano. Well, that's the yes. thing, right? The so they're trying to make you believe it's him through the whole thing. Oh, exactly. and there's scenes when he's chasing um the final his girlfriend, or what yes. you think. You, yes. Where it the killer is wearing the green turtleneck sweater. I mean, they're misdirecting you with that. Oh, it is Peter right chasing ahead. her. All right. We, we can get on track. Sorry. I mean, no, I know it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look, let me ask you guys this too. Did you guys actually see the actor that plays Billy? Not to jump ahead. No. No. Okay. So this guy is fucking like. Just look at his picture. You'll be like, I'm scared. I don't ever want to be alone in a room with a guy, the actor that plays Billy. Billy could have been fucking like, like you would say, Tony, nightmare fuel. I wish this guy had been fleshed out a little better in the movie and introduced to us as an actor, as Billy. And um, and I think they really would have had something here. I mean, we're talking about a fucking serial killer, a real fucking threat in everybody's real lives not like you know jason or freddie or this could have been a fucking terrifying character that could have shown up in a few different movies if this had franchise but all right anyway Dylan, let's get into it okay <laughs> and on we roll so our movie begins with a shot of a beautiful home lit with christmas lights and silent night playing the home turns out to be a sorority house and there's a gathering inside of girls and their boyfriends. As the camera pans, we realize something sinister is already afoot as we hear heavy breathing and spooky music as someone watches the girls and their friends from the window. So, Tony, like I was saying earlier, the uh, in their Halloween review, we talked about seeing things through the eyes of the killer. And um, this technique was um, really, really well used here, I thought. You know, it's, you know, especially like when he's like climbing up the trellis and going through the window. I was like, oh, yeah, like it like you feel like you're watching everything through his eyes, which was pretty creepy. And the cool thing was they added almost like a fisheye lens to it. So Mm -hmm. everything was just a little distorted. Mm -hmm. It was a little rounded. So fun, but it was enough to make you go. It's uncomfortable watching this. Right. Yeah, that will definitely give you a little bit of a like it almost gives you like a swimmy feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, honey, go ahead. I was going to say right away, I, I thought this movie looked better than Halloween, even though it had come out a little bit um, before it. Immediately, I thought I thought of Halloween, obviously, because, you know, it's shot almost the same way. But I just thought the movie looked a little bit more professional, if that makes sense. And yes. um, 
And I thought the movie as a whole felt a little bit of a bigger budget than Halloween. I I enjoyed this more than Halloween. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, it's, I, I totally believe that the fingerprints of this movie are all over Halloween. You know, I think he, he learned a lot of lessons from this movie. So yeah. uh, let's see. So a co-ed appears and shuts the door. It is barbed played by Margot Kidder outside the killer scales the outside of the house and slips into the attic. Jess, played by Olivia Hussey, picks up the phone and the call is for Barb. Phil, played by Andrea Martin, is also there with her boyfriend. The killer eavesdrops on Barb's conversation with her mother. The party's breaking up and all the boys are leaving. Claire, played by Lynn Griffin, says goodnight to her boyfriend, Chris. The boyfriend rings again. I'm sorry. The phone rings again, not the boyfriend. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) And the women have heard from this guy before. They call him the moaner. Barb grabs the phone and engages with him. He tells him he's going to kill them before hanging up. Now, Des, I was a little surprised by the how vulgar the conversation was. And I think I forget that the 70s, like it was a little bit more <laughs> of a wild west in the 70s when it came to filmmaking, like before we hit the 80s. And there was all sorts of like morality regulations and, you know, mm-hmm. censorship. I was a little surprised by it. Yeah, I was. Uh, well, first of all, when they shot these scenes, it was just a director kind of just saying stuff to them and they were reacting to it. And it didn't have like the heavy words like cunt and stuff. Right. And then they added that stuff in later. And yeah, I was I was taken back. I mean, because I was, again, we're watching a movie from 1974. And it really didn't even feel like a movie from 74. It had more of like a an early 80s Jaws feel to it. Like maybe that era. So I think it was a little ahead of its time for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there was some good acting in it. Obviously, they got some, some A-list uh, actors, which definitely brought a little more cred to this movie for me when I was watching it. Um, and yeah, I think that we're led to believe here that this is the first time that the killer has actually gone from being perverted to actually saying, how about if I just fucking kill you? Because um, Jess starts um, challenging him. Am I right, Tony? No, Barb. Barb. Uh, I'm sorry, Barb starts challenging yeah, I mean, him. There's, again, this opening scene is, look at the cast. You have, you know, pre-SCTV Andrea Martin, who's known for comedy. You have, you know, post De Palma sisters, Margot Kidder, you know, pre-Superman, Lois Lane, Margot Kidder. Olivia Hussey was best known for Juliet and Romeo and Juliet. Right. Mm-hmm. These are huge actors. They're like, at this point, or, or just becoming the scene. So, I mean, you're, you're definitely right on with the amount of quality of acting we have going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to speak they used the word cunt at least 15 to 20 times in the span of three minutes is so impressive by today's <laughs> standard. yeah no totally get away with that you know it's like these days it's it's that's the c word you know yeah but back then it was thrown out a little bit more and the fact he just goes with it is crazy but the, the most chilling part of it all is it's phone call I me mean, you gotta describe the phone calls people haven't seen it it goes from screaming to a man's voice to a child's babbling to mm-hmm. incoherent moans to this whole, it sounds like three different people and yeah. then when she, you know when barb challenges him it goes from ah, i'm gonna kill you it was yeah. totally clear totally dead and ha- yeah it was like it was a it's slap chilling. in the face yeah yeah it was so just perfectly delivered it, the scene shouldn't have ended any other way except perfectly like it did yeah, yeah i agree i i was going to say this movie really reminded me and i wrote this in my notes um almost halfway through it that this felt more like psycho to me than it did um, Friday the 13th or Halloween it, it started to take a turn away from like a goofy slasher movie and more towards like a, a very dramatic you know psychological 
Silence of the uh, Lambs. Like, like, yeah, oh, to- yeah, totally. World. Yes, yes, yeah. Silence of the Lambs, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I do believe that uh, Nick Mancuso, who did the voices, or at least part of the, some of the voices uh, in the phone calls, said that there was other people so that it would give you a distinct difference. It wasn't just him like trying to pretend to yeah. have a woman's voice. It was actually mm-hmm. a woman that was making uh, that was speaking. So I thought that was right. interesting that, you know, we're to believe as a viewer that it's all one person, but the, it to really pop it home that it was different, almost like personalities. They actually mm-hmm. use yeah. different people. I wonder if they did that in Psycho. Oh, I don't know. Hey, know you guys, but if you both are near a computer, I'd like you both to look up the actor that played Billy real quick, just while we're talking. So you can see did. this guy. I'm like, yeah, oh right. <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't he, isn't he terrifying? He's a little, he's a little off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's a fucking killer right there. I'm like, Whoo, whoo. I don't want to open my shower and see that guy standing there. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So moving ahead, after a brief confrontation with Barb, Claire's goes upstairs. Claire goes upstairs to pack. Mrs. Mack, the sorority house mother, played by Marianne Wal- Waldman, arrives, and the girls let her in before giving her a gift. Upstairs, Claire thinks she sees something in her closet. The killer jumps out from behind some hanging dry cleaner plastic bags and uses them to suffocate her. He takes her body out of the bedroom, takes her up to the attic, where he poses her in a chair right by the window. And, you know, this particular... Uh, visual effect with the bag like down her throat and everything it's really striking but i'm not going to pretend that i couldn't rip through one of those dry cleaner bags really easy if somebody tried to put it over my face (laughs) uh yeah well i felt like he probably strangled her to death like hands around her throat and just had the bag over her head i i never i never questioned his ability to kill these women Oh, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. Like, he probably could have just karate chopped her in the neck and would have killed her. But yeah, I knocked her out. But I I loved the uh, that he kept taking these women up into the attic. And, um, you know, it just showed that this guy was like a pattern killer. And it was like a spider's in the fly. Like his his web was up there. You kept seeing that door opening and closing. I mean, fucking yeah, man. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And again, 1970s Um, lighting and it's just it's very it makes it more realistic than today's like you know 4k beautifully shot everything's there it's like the grainier the better the mm-hmm. grainier, the yeah. more realistic in your attic you don't know who's yeah. around the corner it's perfect no yeah. and especially and this I, big house that's a huge house oh well, huge you, you, yeah you touched on a house is definitely a character and the, the cool thing about the way they shot it is very much in the same way of the shining I mean, until I watched The Shining like six or seven times, you don't know what hallway leads to what room, to which staircase, to which right. bedroom. It, it's just, you're, it's very disorienting. There's like 14 different stairways with like three different levels of each. So you don't mm-hmm. exactly know where the entrance to that attic is until maybe midway through the movie. So you're not sure yes. where he's going to be. So it's very disorienting. Yeah. Yes. They made a nice job, though, of like you said, you know, giving you little tells of where you were in the house um, as the movie went on. And, you know, I had mentioned it earlier about how they had made that decision not to to tone down the murders. And at first I was, as I was watching it, I'm like, oh, I think that was a mistake. But as I got further into the movie and I started like kind of seeing the director's vision, I was really glad that they did that one because the blood they were using, it didn't look very good. It was like orange, like Frank's hot sauce. Yeah, 1970s blood. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, like red paint. And, yeah, and it would have cheapened this story and this and this filmmaking. It didn't need to be there. 
and it made it more chilling and more mysterious and scarier for me. So I'm really glad they went the direction they went in. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Jess takes a phone call from her boyfriend. It appears something's wrong, but she doesn't want to say what it is over the phone. They make a plan to meet later. Mrs. Mack is in much is our much needed comic relief as she brushes her teeth with the sherry that was hidden in the back of the toilet that I <sighs> you mentioned before and I totally whiffed on. <laughs> Give Mrs. Mack a nice big kiss for Christmas. No. <laughs> Yuck. Betty Davis, by the way. Yes. <laughs> was it? Yeah, yeah. no she shit. Turned it down. Wow. I yeah, love this lady. Called she cracked me up. I was thinking about Mrs. Garrett from uh, Facts of Life the whole time. Oh, yeah. I'm like, she would have been perfect for this. Well, the funny thing um, was, is I, I was kept the thing that kept bugging me watching it this time. Like I watched it today, was like the the dumb deputy. I'm like, where have I seen him before? Where am I seen him before? And I actually had to look him up because mm-hmm. Bob Clark did Porky's. He's one of the gym teachers. Oh know? yeah. And so I was yep. thinking Ball Bricker would have been awesome as Miss Mac. Mm. Oh, definitely. The same cast. So I'm like, <laughs> definitely. I'm surprised that that did that before. Definitely. I, I was laughing to myself. They should have called this movie Drunk Christmas because I have never seen so much. I mean, right off the bat, I mean, Barb, I don't think there was one scene in the movie where she wasn't either drinking or smoking except the scene when she's murdered. Right. Mm. I mean, or both at the same time. She even mm. etches on the police's uh, policeman's desk at one point. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. <laughs> It's funny. So the next morning, Claire's father, played by James Edmond, is waiting for her, and she doesn't show up. He goes to the sorority house, and Mrs. Mack shows him around, assuring him that she must just be somewhere else. Mrs. Mack asks him for a ride to the store, and he agrees. When they step out of the house, the camera pans back, and Claire's lifeless body is watching over them. Meanwhile, Jess is telling her boyfriend that she's pregnant and wants an abortion. He disagrees with her and tells her he will come back uh, by around 9. Back at home, she gets another phone call from the moaner, and this time we hear for the first time the name Billy. So Des, I have to admit the fact that someone's already been killed in the house and no one knows, and they're literally just right above their their head and everyone's continuing on with their lives, that's super creepy to me. Absolutely. It was fucking awesome. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, coming back to it, it's just it's constant reminder. Just when you think like, oh, the well, you know, who's who's the next victim? That one's still on. It's like, oh, so yes. fucking good. Oh, and she's yeah. right in the window and nobody just looks up and yeah. sees her. Yeah, it's awesome. And then, you know, when then they kill, I'm going to call, uh, I'm going to call Miss Mac, Mrs. Garrett. And then, you know, <laughs> Mrs. Garrett's up there, you know, halfway through the movie, he's got his victim, you know, he's got his little trophy room of victims up there and, and nobody knows it. It's, and they all, and they're, they're trying to kind of sell you, you know, that these people are feeling safe in this house where really this house is, you know, the killing, the killing field, yeah. you know, yeah, it's a trap. Yeah. It's a trap. Yeah. It's awesome. So yeah. Great. Awesome. Yeah, it's just again, just going back to there, there's so many little little things about the movie that I really like. Like the father is like the prude father. I didn't send mm. my daughter here to meet boys. It's just mm. like it's this. These are the feel were very dated because you know she's got the peace and love stuff all around her room, the stuff That's she right. couldn't have at home. So it kind of goes along right hand in hand with the you know the time this this was made and the fact that Jess is now pregnant. And her boyfriend's trying to be this concert concert pianist, and he's like, "Well, I don't, I don't have time for this. I, we, we need to." Have... But it's like, and she's like, "Well, I don't want to have the baby. I have plans too. I don't want this baby." That was a monster deal. Yes, back in, yeah. this was right after Roe versus Wade, or in the era of. Yeah. So to have mm-hmm. a, a strong-willed woman not bending down 
to one to not bending down to the male in our life two to Sam. No, I'm going to have an, that was huge yeah. for back in the day and add to the fact that they made Barb pretty much a bisexual. Yeah. Which oh, yeah. Had, until you look for it, you don't really see it looking through playboy magazines while she's sitting on the couch drunk. So right. it's like you have all these forward thinking ideas for 1974, mm-hmm. which is so thinking of Bob Clark to include that. Again, I don't know if it was in the original script or they just decided on set to go that route, but it, it's so advanced. Yeah. yeah. And it makes and, it very uh, much uh, almost timeless because it feels like it could have happened at any time, even though you're looking at the shag carpet and stuff like that, you see the seventies, but it right. makes the storytelling feel very timeless. Yeah. And I, I totally loved how they, um, they pulled back on the kills, but they ramped it up with the dialogue. Like when he's saying, you know, you know, kill my fucking baby, killing my, like they were, yeah. they weren't holding back with the script. Let's just put it that way. Right. No, it's true. Yeah, definitely. You know, the sheriff right. says to, uh, the sheriff says to, um, uh, Jess, you know, when he's listening in, not to jump ahead, but he's listening in on the conversation between, her and Peter, you know, what did he mean? You're not going to kill, kill the baby. It's like, you know, right. so yeah, it's off putting, yeah. but it's great. Yeah. So at the police station, Phil, Barb and Claire's father are reporting Claire as missing. Barb's making a drunken spectacle of herself as she pretty much does through this whole movie. And Jess goes to tell Claire's boyfriend, Chris played by Art Hindle that Claire is missing. Her boyfriend is giving his piano recital. And frankly, it's fucking terrible. Um, and I assume that this is on purpose to spread this discordant and uncomfortable feeling deeper into the film, but the mm. music was terrible. It, just watching the recital was making me uncomfortable. Watching him sweat through it was making me uncomfortable, but it, you know, mission accomplished because it made oh, me feel uncomfortable. It, it really pushed it. And again, maybe this is three divorced ass talking like this, but you know, <laughs> is the fact that she chose the wrong time and the wrong point. She was a very unlikable character. If you get down to she basically, I know you have your concert tomorrow, but I'm breaking up with you. Oh, yeah, and I'm pregnant, and I'm going to keep it. And I don't want to be with you anymore. Oh, but all this is happening to me. She was just a very, I wanted to make her the heroine, but at the same time, she wasn't very likable. Mm-hmm. She, right. was, she was almost an elitist. She was. She talked down to everybody. It's like, well, no, I don't want to hold this. We need to go do this. It's, she's very demanding. And it wasn't right. demanding in an, in an empowered woman way. It was in a, in a very, for calling him a modern, way it was like well what i want is now and it, right. it yeah. turned that scene of her telling him after he just got done of eight, what eight days of living in a all of this stuff was like a complete sabotage to him that's how it totally. was and he failed his his concert he basically decided to quit his the thing he's been working on for years to try to marry her to have the baby and she's like no i don't want it i don't want you i don't want the baby go away so yeah. she pretty much ruined his life within 48 hours <laughs> and drove him nuts. So they yeah. completely set that up to make him the killer. Mm-hmm. I felt bad for him at that moment, though, because, you know, I I felt like he he started to realize that maybe he was never going to be the superstar pianist he had hoped to be, you know, a professional. He sees the woman that he loves because you see earlier in the movie when they're talking on the phone and he says, I love you. And she oh, says, I know, I know. she right. gives him the old hand solo. <laughs> yeah. Then I feel like at this moment, he's trying to, you know, salvage 
what's left of his life that's good, which is, you know, his love for her and wanting to be with her. I'm going to give up my piano career. Let's get married. And she's like, fuck no. And Tony, you know, I've also been divorced. So is this the time of the show when we get into it? Nope. nope. <laughs> is, this, is this our yeah. therapy session? No let's therapy talk about it. it. <laughs> nope. All right, let's go forward. <laughs> You sure? <laughs> will this movie has the best male fur coat in any cinematic event. Oh my! Oh, Chris's yeah. fur coat oh. is amazing. Yes, it is. Walked in and he just flowed behind him, very much. You know, oh, yeah. he's got if the good hair, looking for a good coat. If anybody's looking for a last-minute Christmas present for me, <laughs> nice box coat for you. Fuck yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's a fantastic coat. He's he's a quite a stylish man. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So let's see here. Where did I live? Oh yeah, here we are. So for the first time now, we meet Lieutenant Ken Fuller, played by John Saxon. He's taking a report from a concerned mother whose 13-year-old is missing. Chris bursts into the police station with Jess in tow. Fuller decides to take a look at it. At dinner at the sorority house, Barb says that they all blame her for Claire missing because they had a fight the last time that they spoke. Meanwhile, the terrible pianist decides to destroy a baby grand because of his failure. And Tony, I got to say, like, okay, yeah, your life feels like it's falling apart and, you know, Jess is a bitch. But I don't think he owns this piano. So that was probably a, a bad move. <laughs> Well, I mean, you could see how unhinged he is. That's, I mean, that's why I actually enjoyed, I'm not going to say I enjoyed the scene because no one likes to see something like that destroyed, but you understand right. why he did it. Everything right. everything he knew and loved was falling apart. So I'm going to destroy, that's his one moment of control. I'm going to destroy this. And then you yeah. saw it later when he breaks into the house. Are you okay? Why are you scared of me? It's like, they, again, we're, we're putting that red herring right, right in your face. Right. Yep. Yeah. You know, the interest that was the whole side of the storyline that's like, did we need this? I mean, yes, really, there's a killer there. It's no. got things off track and made you go, all right, how many killers do we need? This yeah. we needed this badly, and I'm gonna tell you why. Okay. Why. So here's the scene that was missing from the movie for me. Okay, because we're gonna get this great surprise ending, not to jump ahead, but it's not a surprise. And here's the problem. So this is why I needed this scene to be flushed out more. I wish that we had seen the little girl walking home at night through the park. And then we're introduced to Billy. But you don't have to call him Billy, or you could. He could say, you know, we could have seen this actor, this creepy guy that played Billy, walk up alongside her and been like, hey, are you lost? And she could have been like, you know, no, I'm on my way home. And he's like, you know, my name's Billy. What's your name? And then we could have just cut away. And that could have been it. And then we find out later in the movie, she's been murdered. But we're not told it's Billy, but we've been introduced to a very nefarious looking gentleman named Billy. So we've heard the name. We've seen the actor. A girl's been killed. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a stranger that she met in the park, but we've got that now in our back pockets. And then not to jump ahead, but later in the movie, you know, oh, fuck, it was the guy in the park that fucking, he killed the little, it was the guy in the park. And now we've got an identity, we've got our killer, we've got, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it had to fucking be there if you're going to give me this ending of the movie, right? I mean, I had to Google it. Who the fuck is the killer of fucking Black Christmas? <laughs> well, I mean, I actually disagree with that. And I, guess, <laughs> I love the fact that they kept you, they kept pushing the boyfriend, push the boyfriend, push the boyfriend. 
and they right well, down still to, could have well right down to billy basically saying quoting you know it's like having a wart removed when he's referencing what he said about the abortion so mm-hmm. that was a, a telltale like all right this is what the boyfriend said now that's what billy said so i mean if you saw what billy looked like earlier you wouldn't wonder that you wouldn't have set it up as more of a a tense scene between her and her boyfriend every time we saw them together because the tension well, was there because you weren't sure I mean, but I also the, never was sure whether Billy killed the 13-year-old or not. No, exactly. But, we don't. That's why I'm saying like we could just cut those four minutes out and it wouldn't affect this film at all. True. But but with Billy, the thing is now, had we been introduced to him in the park with a little girl, he could have come across like a guy saying, hey, are you lost, little girl? You know, I'm not a stranger. I'm Billy. You know, are you lost or whatever? And then we just we just end that scene and they could have continued to push Peter is the killer because I was believing it. Like it wouldn't have immediately made me think it was this guy that was trying to help this little girl in the park. Like I could have still been like, ah, it's Peter. They're really pushing Peter on me. And then at the end, again, I would have had an identity. I would have known who the director was talking about. I would have said, oh, it's fucking that guy. But they gave me a surprise ending that wasn't a surprise because they just didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. I'm like, what? I'm like, maybe she killed fucking Peter. Maybe his girlfriend killed Peter. Jess, maybe she's the killer. I don't fucking know. No, I think it's not. I mean, I don't, I'm not meaning to jump ahead, but I do think that Jess killed Peter. Oh, no, Jess killed Peter. Jess killed Peter. What? Yes. Jess killed Peter with the. She was terrified because she thought he was the guy. So she attacked him. him. No. Yes. Get the fuck out. Then how did she get knocked out? I think she was in shock. She was passed out. No way. The serial killer killed fucking no, Peter, knocked Jess out, left her there unconscious, and I then disagree. went back up into the attic and then started no. calling down to her again at the end so he could continue to torture her. I disagree. I completely this, You're actually the first person I ever heard suggest that. It's an interesting thought because it would make sense because I mean, he did have a lot of blood, but all the blood was in the head. And not what Billy's mantra was not that. Then who was Billy calling at the end if everybody was gone? He wasn't. He was calling down her because he knew she was there. That's right, because he left her there to torture again. Well, he was listening. He knew that she was there. He knew she was there because he heard all the cops saying everything. The, the attic door was open at the end. So he was hearing all the waited till all the cops left before uh, he decided to call. So at the end, he wasn't hunting. He wasn't hunting Jess at the end of the movie. He was just upstairs. Hanging out and let him her kill Peter. Well, she she locked the door. He couldn't get down. He was mm. banging at the door. He, he grabbed her at the banister on the house. Then she locked herself downstairs. She couldn't get down. But what's his name? Crashed through the window. Right. He kicked his way in, and she killed him because that's why they really stressed being the crazy guy. Like, hey, are you okay? No, don't be scared of me. And she's petrified, holding the thing. The next shot we see of them, she's he's dead and she's passed out. There's see, no I wasn't the door. See, I wasn't sure if at this point in the movie, because they kept showing the, the green sweater, and it was clearly Peter chasing around the house upstairs. So I couldn't tell if this guy was unhinged too, and he was actually having one of these moments. She's saying, I'm going to kill your baby. I'm leaving you. He's chasing her, trying to grab her, maybe trying to make her talk to him. She locks the door. He runs outside, kicks in the window, comes downstairs. So I felt like all of this could have also been just them having, you know, him being a fucking creepy ex-boyfriend. No, I think it was Billy upstairs. And then once you get down in the basement, it's Peter. Yeah. Wow. A lot is left to the imagination here, but I like that. 
but I like that. Well, but I still agree. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I disagree with both of you. I think they should have introduced us to Billy in the park. Anyway. <laughs> so Chris and Jeff, Jess arrive back at the house and tell everyone there's going to be a search. It's both for the little girl and Claire. They all have, uh, they all leave to attend except for Mrs. Mack and Barb, who's drunk and asleep upstairs. Mrs. Mack is p- packing to leave for holiday when she hears her cat. She goes in search of him up into the attic where our killer is waiting for her. She sees Claire and just as she does, she realizes she's probably not alone. As she turns to look, the killer swings a metal hook on a rope at her and pulls her up into the attic, shutting the attic access behind her. The taxi's been waiting for her, drives off, and the killer has a little freak out. Mm. So at this point, I really actually appreciate how much is it left to the imagination. The less I see, the scarier it is to me. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, I don't need a ton of gore. I want, like, the stuff that um, is left to my imagination, I can probably fill it in way more vividly than they could have you know yeah i put in my notes that um that one scene where the killer has the little freak out Mm -hmm. that that was for me probably the scariest scene in the entire movie because i really felt like this guy was fucking dangerous and super mentally unstable and i got a really chill a chill watching that scene it was really well done it's funny because i get a chill not at that scene later and i actually wrote it in my notes but same thing, like a full body chill. So yes. it's interesting that you got one there. I'll tell you where mine was when we get to it. Okay. All right. So back at the park, nothing's turned up, but everyone's freezing. Jess says that Peter's supposed to meet her at nine and she has to go. The 13-year-old is shortly after found in the park, but it's obviously not Claire. When Jess gets back, she gets another disturbing phone call. This one's a bit different because the voice says, please stop me. After hanging up, she makes a call to report the obscene call to the police. And feet can be seen on the steps behind her. When she backs up to the stairs, she feels somebody behind her, and it's Peter. They have a conversation about their future. Peter wants to quit the conservatory and get married, and Jess doesn't want to give up her dreams to do that. He threatens her that if she has an abortion, she'll be sorry. Um, you know, and Tony, you know, if you forget about the two bodies in the attic, it's really more of a thriller and a little bit of a drama than a horror movie. Oh, yeah. Definitely agree. And I mean, I think that's why it, it works. It does satisfy both both interests. I mean, you get a lot of people who's like who will look down on the slashers, won't watch them, but they'll watch Silence of the Lambs. They'll watch Psycho because it's, quote, it's a thriller. It's not a horror movie. Mm-hmm. You know, every movie that's ever got, every horror movie, quote, horror movie that's ever got nominated for an Oscar has been listed as a thriller. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they ever, The horror is the bastard redhead stepchild of, of the, cinematic, <laughs> the cinematic genres. And it's just everyone always goes back to for the easy money because people like me will whore themselves out and go see anything they put out because there's so little of it. Right. You have to go through like movies to get one really good diamond in the rough. And you know yes. what? It's worth it when you find it. Right. So I, I'm kind of off topic, but it really does. It satisfies your slasher. satisfies the thriller because it's a really well-written, well-acted, well-shot movie that holds yes. your interest. You, you care about what happens to these people. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't. It was good character building in this, and um, you know, and like I said, you know that they they only they were missing these little things that were going to turn this into like the next big thing in in horror psycho killer movie, whatever. By just eyelashes, like I wish they had flushed out some of the police officers a little better instead of giving us the bumbling stupid deputy i wish he had been more like a starling you know like the upcoming under the sheriff that's like this guy is you know really good at his job and maybe he's starting to suspect there's somebody else involved from the girl in the park you know like maybe he even says 
you know, this feels like, you know, a serial killer, the way this girl was killed. And then you could just leave it to us to say, is it Peter or is there something more nefarious in this movie going on? And again, this is where I thought there were just these little nuances that could have just taken this up to the next level. See, and I think that's just, again, it goes back to the era that they were in, is that in the early, late 60s, early 70s, you look at any, quote, horror movie, the police are idiots. The right. police are dumb. Right. Because if, if you have a good one, they're going to solve the crime in a minute and the movie's over. <laughs> I mean, this, this is in the top two for worst. The worst is Last House on the Left. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. But it is the, the two worst police in cinematic history, the laughable. And, I, and if I remember correctly, the guy who plays Crease in Cobra Kai is the yeah. deputy. Okay. He's a big dumb doofus. It was just really, really, really bad. And that was because law enforcement back in the 70s wasn't the best, it didn't have the best reputation. You were the pigs, you were the, you know, the, the head breakers, you were, you were looked down on, you were fascists. That was the era of the late 60s, early 70s. So you couldn't have somebody too knowledgeable without, a, I think, deterring away from what the cops were viewed at that time. John Saxon, because he came from, you know, he came from the Bruce Lee movies, he came from the gold school westerns, he perfectly gave you what you needed for that character. Someone who's totally. decent looking, intellectual, smart ass, but at the same time, very thorough in what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So he, I think that was written well. You needed a dumb bumbling guy to set up the, if you screw this up, I'm going to kill you. And of course he's going to screw it up and put the girl in danger at the end because right. he can't follow through with what to do. So the right. only way right. to do that is to give it to the idiot. Well, yeah. it was fun though, the way they added in the, uh, you know, the guy that was doing the phone tap and how they were going to reverse and find out where it was coming from and all that. So, I mean, yeah, they added some smart people to the team. Great scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And you know, the only reason I, I read into this plot and this so much is because usually I don't like these movies. They didn't like Halloween. They don't, they just, I don't find them interesting really. And this movie felt to me like it just had so much potential. Like I was watching, I'm like, I'm loving this movie. And I just wanted a little more out of it. And I thought that it, I thought it was better than it was, if that makes sense. Like I thought this movie really could have been something like special, like really special. I think Billy could have been something really special and really scary if it had been flushed out a little better. Yeah, I, I think it, it nailed it, but we can, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say just before we move on that at the end of the movie, I Googled and said, you know, what, what's the what's the backstory of Black Christmas? Because I thought I must have missed something. Like I was like, there must have been some point that somebody mentioned something and I missed it. And there wasn't. So no. I think that what I did read was that they purposely did that, that they didn't flesh him out because they wanted it to just be scary because you didn't know anything about what it was going on with him. But I think I maybe it's the contemporary movie viewer in me. I would have liked a little bit of backstory, like a little something, even just like a, oh, you know, oh, that's the old such and such house before the university took it over. So and so lived there, and it was like well, Billy and Agnes or whatever, you know. So well, I don't know. We'll we'll touch on that at the end. Okay. Yeah. We'll get there. All right. I, there's a million ways they could. There's a million ways they could have introduced us to Billy without hitting us over the head with them earlier in the movie, and then maybe giving us even a single shot of him through the window on the phone as it's ringing. So we get to see that creepy actor's face and we're introduced to the killer. Finally, right. I needed to see, and I needed to see the killer in this movie at least <laughs> once. 
All right. So the detective has come to the house just in time to watch Peter storm out. He's having the phones tapped and checks Claire's room while he's there. He tells the girls there's a cop up front in a car, keeping an eye on them. And then the phone tech tells them to keep the caller on the line for as long as possible so they can trace the call. They leave and Peter is seen lurking in the shadows outside. Phil is so overcome with emotion. She thinks that Claire is dead. She believes it. And she heads upstairs to bed. The killer is upstairs, though, rocking Claire's body in the rocking chair. But now he's heading back down the attic ladder. Barb is sleeping, but is awakened by a sudden asthma attack. Jess comes up to help her, and Barb said she had a dream about a stranger coming into her room. After settling Barb down, Jess hears children caroling outside and goes to listen to them. Meanwhile, the killer goes into Barb's room, takes a hold of a glass unicorn, and stabs her with it, in- interspersed with the children singing. I found that pretty creepy. Um, it was, again, scariest in what I didn't see, but the er- interspersing it with children and a unicorn, which is like such a, a pure thing, I found mm-hmm. that to be pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, this scene was fucking, was beautiful. I mean, it's a horrifying scene, but it was beautiful. The glass unicorn, the way the blood was used, the lighting, the, the Christmas caroling while the murder's taking place. It was it was really, really good filmmaking. I was uh I was watching the screen just like, wow, this looks fucking great. <laughs> just the yeah. eyeball. You know, just yeah. it's the, that iconic shot of the, you know, him with just the eyelet. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. she wasn't dreaming of a man coming into a room. Obviously he come yes. into the room and he was there while she was, you know, giving her the the fucking Oh, yeah. asthma medication so yeah, yeah like probably hiding in the closet or something one thing i didn't appreciate was that um claire's body was not at least turning like you know gray or green like she just looked too fresh well, it was only 20 <laughs> it was only 24 hours i she's wrapped think- in plastic come on well, okay no you guys are right you guys are right she was in a sandwich bag <laughs> she was all right my tuna sandwich stays good until fucking lunch <laughs> Also, can we just talk about Barb's wreath on her door with the nips hanging from it? How hilarious that is. <laughs> She's like completely a, an alcoholic in the making. Oh, yeah. Never mind the fact that this, these are supposed to be sorority girls and they're all like 35. <laughs> it's like, they don't even try to get young girls in this movie. It's like, oh, we're just going to get good actresses. It's like, just it, go with it. Except for Claire. Claire was very young, I felt. She felt right. The rest of them felt old. I think yeah, the rest had, Claire... had like, you know, yeah, I think Start the actress to play Claire was maybe 23-ish. I think she was the youngest. Mm. Yeah. So 23 is forgivable for a college age, but I think um the the ages went up to about 35 or so on the cast. So it was funny seeing uh, Margaret Kidder in this. Um, she was very attractive in this movie by the time she got the Superman. I, yuck. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry. Just That's I just, never wow. Well, I never found her attractive ever. I always, I was even like as a child seeing Superman, I was like, God, fucking Lois Lane is just yuck. And I saw her in this. I'm like, wow, she's very attractive in this movie. She's no Wilma Deering, man. man. Who's the one that plays in uh, Indiana Jones? The one that plays um, Karen Allen. Karen Allen. Yeah. She's another one. It's just like, I don't get it, man. That chick is just yuck. She's like Kelly Leake from the fucking Bad News Bears. No. No. No, Karen Allen was cute when she was young. <laughs> I don't like her. You were in like cruising. You see her in an animal house. You know, she was she was a cute little girl. <laughs> and not everyone's not gonna me. be Marilyn Monroe, honey. Oh God. <laughs> I guess not. 
All right. So the phone's ringing again. Jess picks it up while the phone tech attempts to trace the call. And I made a side note here how cool it was to watch how calls used to be traced. Like mm. today, it's computers and cell towers. Back then, that's what the, a, a dude would run through the room and try to find the the circuit. I was like, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, so the call is the most disturbed yet because the person on the other end of the line says like having a wart removed, which is exactly what Peter said to her regarding her abortion just that night. The trace fails because she doesn't keep him on the line long enough. So she needs to wait for another call. She wakes up Phil and tells her that she thinks the calls might be Peter, even if she doesn't tell the police that. Now, Tony, maybe it's just me, but if I thought for one second that the guy I had been dating was making obscene phone calls to my home and it also just threatened me. I don't think I'd be protecting him. I think I'd be telling the cops. Yeah. I mean, again, that's true. That, and this is, this is the one part that kind of went against type. Again, she's such an independent person. She's so forward thinking she's doing what she wants, but this is the moment that made me go, Oh, you're, you're still a 1970s woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who was like, Oh, my man knows what's right. I'm, I'm not going to turn him in just yet. It's, fault it it was almost she was playing the victim and i didn't like that because that's mm. not what her character type was totally totally nailed it it's not Agreed. her character and Agreed. it was it was a glaring it was glaring at this moment i'm like fuck that she'd be fucking she'd be fucking telling them it was him just to get this creep out of her life she's done with peter she's like you're a loser fuck off <laughs> just like that <laughs> A little, yeah. a little British accent. I'll oh, just fuck off. <laughs> exactly. I mean, she pretty yeah, much did when she was like, get out. I was like, woo, okay. Yeah, I <laughs> love the British accent. I love that they didn't try and make her American, that they let her be British. I thought that was cool. Yeah, me too. It sounded good. It did. So the phone rings again. This time it's Peter, and he's crying about the baby. The detective listens in, and he asks the tech to trace it. All the same, even though it's Peter, he still asks for a trace. The trace fails, and the detective calls Jess and questions her about Peter. You know, she, he's saying, you're going to kill my baby. So, of course, the detective is like, well, I got to ask you about it, you know. Um, she says then that Peter was with her during one of the calls earlier, so it can't be him. While she speaks with the detective, a black shadow can be seen moving outside in the hall. And, Des, the funny thing is, is that they, even though she says he was with me when this call was made, he was upstairs in her bedroom could have been in Mrs. Max's room. He could have been making that call. Yeah, I think that's what they were telling us. Yeah. We, we, at this point, we all know the, the fucking calls are coming from in the house. Yeah. But I mean, time, that was something we all learned after when a stranger calls. Yeah. That's when we first saw it all. So, I mean, we know that trope. But yeah. This is eight years before. Mm -hmm. right. Even though it's, it's like, well, there is one other line, but it's, it's in the um, the Miss Max office. It's like they they admit it, but then they gloss over it and it's forgotten. It was such a throwaway line at first. I didn't think anything of it because the guy said, "Oh well, we don't need to bother tapping that. It's a separate line, and all the calls are coming in on this." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And I kind of forgot about it. And then all yeah. of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh my god, wait a second. Yeah, no. Even if I hadn't, um, if I had been watching this for the first time ever, I would have known. At this moment, the director is telling me the calls are coming from inside the house because she says, "No, he was with me, so the calls couldn't have been." from there and i'm like all right they're saying he was in the house but he wasn't with her we know he wasn't there so i like the line and this is where we get the you know the idea that the calls are coming from in the house and this is where i really said to myself oh it's fucking peter for sure <laughs> <laughs> so next we get an odd scene where the search party comes by the house looking for the killer scaring phil um 
and it's a weird scene because it's like, uh, do they do this anymore where they send like, you know, Joe and Jim from the neighborhood to just come to your house to look for a killer? Oh, yeah. Like the 70s militia. This is yeah. a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. The neighborhood watch. I mean, you got to think about it. Remember the 70s in New York had the um, what the guardian angels in the subways? Yep. Oh, true, yeah. true. Yeah. So, I mean, they, there was always somebody with help somebody else badly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, there was there was nothing in this movie that made me roll my eyes. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So then, uh, Jess and Phil realize that none of the doors or windows are locked. Uh, I gotta pause, honey. Make a note because the dog is right here. I gotta put him outside. Hold on. My... <laughs> okay. okay. Let's continue this. Me and you, Tony, will take yeah. it from here. Yes. So they realized that none of the windows and doors are locked except the back door that they just locked. It's a little bit late for that in the movie, right? Right. It, it, it was such a, a calm. Oh, you know what I just realized? Locked. It's like I, that would have been the first fucking right after that phone call hung up. I would have locked everything. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I you thought he was going to sleep. You were, oh, we didn't even miss you. We, we, <laughs> Uh, you you would have thought that right away the deputies and the sheriffs would have been like, all right, guys, before we leave the women here alone with deputy fucking sleepy eyes out in the car, let's lock all the windows and doors, right? Do a sweep of the house. No, there's no sweep of the house and there's no locking of the doors and windows. Oh, my God. All right. So, Hey, did you the lock the front door? Oh, yeah. I always okay. lock the door. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> the wind never comes back. <laughs> oh, my God. So uh, Phil and Jess go around and lock all the doors and windows. At this point, Phil sees Dar uh, Barb's door open and shut. So she goes into the room and the door shuts behind her. And you know what's going on. But you, this is all going to happen off screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's like, you don't even, she doesn't scream, nothing. It's that fast. She has a look of terror and then the door shuts. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, you know what happened. That's mm -hmm. Loved it. And also, I would like to say that Andrea Martin was completely unrecognizable as Phil. Like, at first I was like, I feel like I know this woman. I just don't know where from. And then I saw a picture of her online, like, current. And I was like, oh, that's who she is. Yeah. So, manager. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that's who it is. So, yeah, completely unrecognizable in this. But anyways, she's she's now done for. So um, the detective has decided to look into Peter and he goes to the practice hall he's normally in and finds the destroyed piano. So, of course, he's now thinking mm -hmm, we've got our dude. Yep. Th there's a shot of a hand dialing a phone and it's in obviously in Mrs. Mac's room. Mm -hmm. Jess answers the ringing phone. There's another unhinged rant before the line disconnects, but this time they've got the trace. They know that the calls are going to and coming from the house. The detective radios over to the officer that is watching the house, but there's no reply because he, he not only was he Captain Sleepy Eyes, but he's also Captain Slit Throat. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so Tony, now that we know the call is coming from in the, inside the house, I don't think any of us are overly surprised by this. But what I am surprised by is those calls are not quiet. He's not whispering. He's yelling and screaming, and you only hear what's coming through the line. And I you know, I suppose. Ignore the bottle. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I suppose it could be argued that Mrs. Mac's bedroom is kind of separated from the house a little bit. Like she maybe she's over near the kitchen. But the attic isn't, and him throwing the tables around and throwing the phones around mm -hmm. during his rants. Yes. You know, during his tantrum, somebody had to hear something. Especially the fact that when she's sitting there alone. Yeah. Because when he was doing that, was when there was only a couple of people home and it was quiet. Right. They yeah. kept showing like Olivia Hussey by the Christmas tree to look like it was done with spiders. That yeah, Christmas what is tree with that Christmas tree? 
it's like covered in fur. It was just awful. It's the weirdest <laughs> Christmas tree I've ever seen. And when and when Peter attacks it, he ends up with like a piece of whatever it is on his shoulder. And I was staring at it. <laughs> but yeah, that's a plot hole that I've always. It's always. Anytime the killer is in the attic, somebody should hear something. Oh they yeah, creepy board. They should at least make a, a an acknowledgement or an excuse for it. I mean, I don't know if it was on HBO like last year. Very no. similar in sense that that kind of thing happened, but they always explained it away with that she, she she had like brain damage, so she was always oh. hearing sounds. So it's like you kind of could get away with it. This there was no reason you shouldn't hear a crazy man ranting and raving and throwing things around in the attic. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. Especially because we're all led to believe he's a pretty decently decent sized man. It's not right. like he's a little, you know, five one pipsqueak. Right. When uh when the sheriff is listening to um the phone call, uh, I think that the voice is meant to sound exactly like Billy's voice because I'm like, oh, it's the same voice. So I wonder if they use the same voice to give us that misdirect. And also they Peter? show us yeah. Okay. No, no, I'm saying Peter's voice is meant to sound exactly like Billy's voice. Yes, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I think there was that was done as a misdirect. I think it was probably the same voice. And in this movie, we get to see Peter's hands a lot because, you know, he's a piano player and they do give us a lot of looks of his hands. And, you know, it's the same hands dialing the phone. It's the same hands grabbing at the girlfriend at the end of the movie. I mean, they're showing us the actor Peter's hands, but there's but we're going to find out in the end that it's not Peter. And I get it. It's a misdirect. They're trying to make us think it's Peter. But I mean, it is Peter. So green turtlenecks were really big in the 70s. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying, though? It is Peter. I mean, it's Peter that's chasing her around the house at the end. It is Peter. I mean, it's it's him. So oh man. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I feel like he he looked different enough to me, but I no think I'd have to, I think I'd have to go back and watch it closer and specifically be watching for that. There is no question that that is the same actor with the same sweater. It's they're not even trying to hide it. They're trying to show it to you. I mean, they're the hair silhouette is is very similar. Yeah, it's him. It's him. It's absolutely him. Like when he reaches down over the banister of the uh, stairs and grabs at her, that's the actor's hand with the actor's sweater, and that's the actor. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the phone rings again. This time it's Officer Nash, and he's calling to tell Jess to put the phone down and walk out of the house. She wants to go upstairs for Phil and Barb, and he's insisting you need to just leave the house. He finally tells her that the calls are coming from inside the house, and she starts screaming their names, asking for them to answer. And of course, there is no answer. There's only silence. Instead of leaving the house, because mm -hmm. why would you do that? Mm -mm. She takes a poker from the fireplace. Barb's door is barricaded, and she forces it open, finding her two friends dead. Now, this is where I had the terrifying mm -hmm. moment that gave me the full body chill. <clears throat> The eye looking at her through the crack in the door. Hey, it's me, Billy. Like, oh my God. That, oh, like yeah. I felt like that wolf feeling that you get when you get scared. Like it really got me good. Like I was just like, oh, like the creepy eye looking at her. And he, you know, it's literally like a foot away from her. And she, right. she slams the door and he loses it. It's just yeah. like, oh, and just his, his rants. Like, it's like when you're getting yelled at by somebody and like they go up that next notch of, of volume mm -hmm. that you cringe from like, Ooh, that's what this movie does. Yeah. yeah. It gives you that ugh. level of like, all right, I know I'm supposed to be scared. Ooh, they, that, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I Agreed. mean, literally just 
the the little eye and the little little whispery voice. Oh my god! I was like, nope, nope, nope. I'm out. <laughs> no, they gave us this eyeball shot twice, right? Yep. They gave mm-hmm. it to us during uh, uh, Barb's kill too, right? I mean, which yeah. is why I know it's not him because that eye is like brownish gold, and they made a point of showing Peter's eyes before, and he's got very blue eyes. So mm-hmm. I knew it was two different people. Right. I just think yeah. that he was. She was so scared she couldn't. She wasn't. Yeah. yeah, she wasn't thinking that. No. Um, so she makes a run for it after pushing the door as hard as she can. He's having a flip out, but she can't get the door open and he's coming and he grabs her by the hair as she runs by. She's able to sque- uh, squirm herself away and gets into the basement. She locks the door behind him. It's just it's just a little like a slide lock, but it's it's in good enough that he can't get through, even though he's on the other side going nuts. Um, he rages against the door for a minute before she hears his footsteps retreating and the door shutting. Now here, she tentatively heads down the stairs into the dark basement. And Des, I got to be honest with you. I think if I was her, I would have stayed with my back to the corner right next to that door with the poker in front of my face. And I don't think I would have moved until the cops came. Yeah, I think if I was her, I would have quietly walked out the front door as directed by the deputy. Yeah, but you don't know if he's out there waiting for you. So I think I would have just stayed right where I was behind a locked door with the poker facing down the stairs. I mean, when you got the call from the deputy, he's like, I want you to just, you know, quietly get up and walk outside. The killer is in the house with you. You wouldn't have got up and left the house. Oh, yeah. Initially. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So, yeah. Right now would have never happened. <laughs> I've already been fucking, I've already been down at Popeye's having lunch. I'm out of there. <laughs> yeah. No, I got to be honest with you. As much as I love my friends, if they were like the killers in the house, you need to leave right now. I'd be like, I am getting onto the sidewalk and I will stand and wait for the cops. Like, yeah, absolutely. As far as she knew, the cop was outside. She knew yes. the cop was dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm out. She doesn't realize that he's dead. Like, she could have opened the door, let him in, and he could have gone upstairs. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. the bubbling deputy wasn't like, all right, now. So the cop outside has got his throat slit, and the killer is inside the house of you. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to say anything, and he's fucking <laughs> dropping the whole fucking plot on her. <laughs> ay, 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 oh, ay. my God. So Jess is down there skulking around in the basement. And she sees a figure walking around looking into the basement windows. As the figure gets closer to the basement door, she recognizes it's Peter. Instead of letting him in, she backs into a shadow. Peter breaks the glass on the door. He finds her and approaches her, though it's clear she doesn't trust him. The police arrive at this point. Hearing screaming, they break down the door and find Peter dead on Jess's lap. She's alive but in shock and can't answer any questions. They assume immediately that Peter was the killer all along. They put her in bed. The detective leaves to deal with the reporters and the doctor leaves with Claire's father who has fainted in shock. This leaves Jess once again alone. There's a voice from up in the attic. Agnes, it's me, Billy. There's okay. a pan out from the attic window where Mrs. Mack and Claire still are and the phone is ringing again. Yeah. Jess is in shock because she just watched a killer murder Peter <laughs> right in front of her and then fucking left her to live while she's in shock because she's just witnessed her ex-boyfriend being murdered and been left there, she is now, that's why she's in shock. She's in shock. Dude goes back up into the attic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude. All right. Yep. Dude goes back into the attic, (laughs) waits for all the police to leave, and then starts making calls for his final kill, which would have led to Black Christmas Part two, because Billy takes out the final sorority girl when everybody thinks it was Peter and all the police have left her because she's just resting now in shock. And then the killer, Billy, slips off into the night for Black Christmas. Part two, 
where he finds the next sorority house. <laughs> so back in reality, we will have the fact that Jess is in shock because she had a pregnant woman kill the person who impregnated her, who she still had some feelings for a little bit, and she didn't couldn't deal with it well, and she had to kill him and do what she had to do. So. And Peter, what kind of a wuss gets killed by a pregnant woman with a fucking fire poker? Get out of here. I'm taking that poker away. She pokes me once with that thing, and she's going to be a fucking popsicle. Okay? want to have to kill the woman who's carrying his baby. But eventually you got to. I mean, I'm not going to let her beat my brains. It's like, she hits me once. All right, take it easy. She hits me again. All right, I'm losing consciousness. I'm starting to bleed out. I'm going to, it's, it's her or me now. No, it, it can't well, see, end that way. Here's right. a Jack point Nicholson that I'd like to way make. Way bigger than Shelley Duvall. All it took was <laughs> motherfucker was down. Did you see what that guy did to the piano? No way. No way. <laughs> so I'd like to make a point here. How does Peter know that she's in the basement? Because he's stalking like, her. Well, this is like, how does he know? Like, I'd like to know how he knows she's in the basement because. I don't believe he is the killer. I do believe that he's a bit of a stalker, psychopath, whatever. I do think he's trying to force her to do what he wants her to do. But how does she, he know she's down in the basement? Like, I think Billy I, saved her. I don't think he does. Because I think he's looking for a way in the house that's not obvious. He doesn't know the cop outside is dead. We saw him freeze watching the other cops leave and the other cop watching the house. Memory poked out from behind a tree. Yes. yes. He wants to get in to talk to her because he wants to save his baby. He was looking, especially for her, he was looking for a way in the house. And that's why he was like, Jess, is that you? Are you down here? Like he was shocked to find her as she was to see him. That's Billy how he saved. How Billy saved Jess from Peter by killing Peter and okay. then left Jess. Now that we're, since we go, we're not, <laughs> Bob Clark never got a chance to make a sequel. Clark had extensive notes on what he wanted to have happen. Now, the backstory for Bill was mm -hmm. that he was an abused child and mm -hmm. he was locked in the attic. And eventually he killed his parents, but not before he attacked his little sister. He tried to oh. kill her, but she escaped. That's why they're like, what did you do to Agnes? Where's Agnes? Those were his parents' words to him, but she already escaped. That's why they locked him up. And then, so that's the backstory on, quote, Billy. Now, okay. what he eventually wanted to have happen he had notes. There is a secondary fan film made eight of Bob Clark pushing this. It's online. I'll send you guys the link afterwards. It's called It's Me Billy. And it's the oh. granddaughter of Olivia Huss's Olivia Huss's of Jess mm -hmm. going to try to see the the, the house that happened in. Because pretty much that ru ruined her life. It's it's a short film, it's long, and it tells you it gives you more things. Part of what mm happened is Jess went on to have the baby and the baby you know, obviously so and then she had the granddaughter but the mother the, the granddaughter's mother you know Jess's baby died mm -hmm. like she was like she was in alcoholism just lost her mind got tired of hearing about what happened to her mother her mother wanted Jess went on to write book after book after book celebrity appearances ruined her daughter's life huh. from the fame that she got from it so one of the things that her grandmother quote was working on when she died was a manuscript basically called, you know, what's his name? The, the boyfriend's name. She basically had doubts that he was guilty. Oh, Peter, Peter. Right. She didn't think Peter was the killer. So if she knew and she knew that the killer killed 
her boyfriend, she wouldn't have written that. Right. That's how you right. know. I, that's how I know as a fan watching this secondary supported fan film, that's the case. You know, Billy did not kill her boyfriend. She killed her you, boyfriend. And she killed you know, him thinking he was the killer, but now she's second guessing it as her life has gone on. Well, that's even creepier then. Right. That, that the killer made her kill her boyfriend with his twisted plot. And it ruined her life. All this trauma that she went through, she tried to get out while she and trying to purge it through these appearances and et cetera, et cetera. And her daughter just like, I can't live this life anymore. I can't live under the shadow of this thing that happened in her 20s. And, right. it, and she became an alcoholic and just freaked out. But her, she had a good connection with her granddaughter. And that was the connection she had. So now the granddaughter's trying to go back in to see the house that happened because she's never been there. And her and her friends get turned away. So they go to her grandmother's house that's being looked over by her neighbors. And they stay there for the night. And that's what up oh. and goes forward now what if this movie had started like halloween where we get that clip of billy you know trying to kill his little sister as a child and her getting away and then we get that would have worked because the, the thing i like about billy is that we don't know what the hell he is right. we don't know why he is ramblings of parents and what and it basically everything that he screams feels like a parent yelling at a kid oh yeah and it's awful yeah. because everyone's been yelled at by your parents. So you relate to it, you feel it, and it makes you cringe. And that's why it's even more disturbing because he's he's acting like a little kid in some scenes, petting the doll and petting the, the victim and doing, you know, when she's dead. But it's like completely unhinged. And to me, there, there are a few things that scare me. And people so far gone, you can't reason with them. And like people who are into cults, you can't talk to them. You can't right. reason with them. You can't rationalize with them. They're just in their own world. And that's what... Billy's voice rants actions get under my skin for it is because he's gone. There's no talking to Billy. Right. Hmm. Yeah. No, he's, 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 he's just a force. He's not rational. Is it weird so, that I was never yelled at by my parents? <laughs> you just could not go without therapy. Couldn't you? We just had <laughs> Dylan, you need to give him a hug when we get out. I need an answer to this question. Oh my! It sounds like everybody was yelled at by their parents. I was. Okay. I am not a victim talking. I deserved every beating my old school. I was a wise ass. I had to have the last word to make me who I am today. Is who was a great dad and a normal person in society. But man, I got oh, I got whoopings. I took yeah. I mean, I took plenty of beatings. I guess I just got no forewarning. Your guy sounds like he was a really nice guy. At least he warned you you were about to get it. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, the way this movie ends, to me, is just perfect. Because in the 70s, you didn't have these long 25-minute scrolling credits. You had, you had the cast, you had a little bit of crew, and you had the ending. Right. And really watch this house. We're pulling back from the window where we still see the poor girl's undiscovered corpse. And yeah, we can we also talk to... about the fact that the police have been in this house numerous times? Yes, yes. And... You found two dead bodies in a bedroom and you don't think to look up in the attic? Well, and there's and Claire's still missing? Yeah. Well, here's something I just read. I'm literally looking at it right now. I didn't even know this. Um, so the film ends rather, rather ambiguously. Just laying in bed, her ultimate fate unknown while Claire and Miss Mac's bodies are undiscovered in the attic. It's worth noting that Miss Mac told us for went to break to visit her sister. Yes, she did. Her sister would certainly call the sorority to inform she never showed up, warranting a more thorough investigation of the house. Furthermore, this is the part I didn't. 
original mono track of the movie. Mm-hmm. It actually has a line of dialogue in the background around the ending of the scenes. The police officers state that investigators are now heading over to look for more evidence. Oh, oh okay, you know okay. when they're all leaving and you know everybody's kind of pulling away. Yeah, right. the one cop in the front—that's where it is. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, so it's well, like, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess since they now all have pretty much closed the book on Peter and they they're sure he's the killer, they think the danger is you know over now. So I get it, but I I think that they they closed the page on that book a little too quickly. I would agree. Yeah, just a, a, a movie was just chilling perfect yeah no it was a honestly the the point that slow pan and then the phone starts ringing i was like oh no like it fills you with that dread again yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) so are we ready to do our final thoughts and our ratings yes all right honey do you want to go first absolutely so I know because I know Tony's going to rebuke my my final thoughts. So I usually just <laughs> give you a rambling one, but I actually took the time to write my final thoughts out. And Ooh. this is how I feel about it. <laughs> so it was missing the iconic piece of music for me for the killer. I wanted Billy to have his own score like Darth Vader and all the best bad guys got. Um, the director also missed an opportunity to give us the big final scene with the killer's reveal. I felt it needed a it needed at the very least some exposition about a possible serial killer at large. Like I said, maybe meeting Billy for a second in the park, asking the girl if she needed help getting home, even if he wasn't set up as being nefarious, just to give me a quick heads up that they were going to give me a surprise ending. So when I got the surprise ending, it was a surprise. Um, so I needed Billy to be in association with the story for the end to be a great twist, which it could have been. A great twist. Um, also, if they had made Billy a more memorable character like Jason or Michael Myers, um, I think the franchise could have been huge. And I think that Billy could have been someone that was pop culture. Like he would have been right there with the Jasons and the Michael Myers of horror. But instead, he's been completely forgotten in time. Um, as a thrasher film, it failed. But as a psychological thriller, it was amazing. Um, the plot had a ton of unrealized potential um, with a lackluster ending and only because, like I said, I, I just feel like it could have been something special. So with that being said, this is a movie that I normally would give like one. <laughs> and I went into it thinking I was going to hate it. And I didn't think it was going to be anything special, but I was wrong. It was this a fucking great movie. I'm giving it 3.0 rewatches. Um, if they had given me the ending that I wanted and Billy had been a bigger part of the movie, I think this could have been almost a perfect horror movie for me. But yeah, 3.0. It's a great flick. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. All right. And Tony, you want to give us your review score? Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> I... I love the fact that we don't know who Billy is. I love the fact we don't get any more than what's presented to us. I think the unknown is scarier than thing that anyone could ever write because that gives us unlimited potential to what insanity has happened to this one person to make them what 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 unimaginable horrors did this person go through to become billy to become this person who rants and kills and and it's it, it to me that's scarier than knowing well you know he had this and this is what he looks like and he's completely normal but i don't want i don't want him to be normal i don't want to know his history i don't want to know his backstory 
I love what we got. I like what we get. And I, I'm glad there was no franchise. And that's, that's hmm. rare for me because I always wanted to know. I want more. I want more. Doesn't need it. I love the fact that Bob Clark has made, he's made a good amount of movies. But if you think about what he has made, I mean, he pretty much made the, one of the first zombie movies made. Children shouldn't make, play with dead things. Very low budget. But in the horror community, it's pretty big. And then he made Black Christmas. Everybody watches it at Christmas. What's the other movie you ever watch at Christmas? A Christmas Story. Motherfucker made two Christmas classics. And totally <laughs> That's it's amazing. Like, you, yeah, completely. He, his legacy completely. is that. And the man made Porky's. Everybody grew up with Porky's. Everybody our age, give or take five years, knows Porky's. That's a classic movie. Terrible. Completely misogynistic. Didn't age well. But you know what? <laughs> it was a classic for the time. But not for nothing. Black bookends to the man's career as far as I'm concerned. And two totally different ends of the spectrum with two totally different fields. There's nothing those two have in common except for the word Christmas. And you got to right. appreciate that he can do that. So mm. to me, this is always an annual watch for me. I love introducing people to it because it's so it's the one that it's the one that created the, you know, the calls coming from inside the house, which mm -hmm. everyone goes, to, you know, it's oh that's, you know, when a stranger calls because that first 20 minutes of that movie, you can't top that, that fucking, that should be its own thing. Agree. What's that? I agree. Very yeah. scary. But I mean, Black Christmas as on its own, the look, the feel, the age, the music, the lack thereof, all of it completely works for me. Annual rewatch. I got to give it a 4.75. Okay, Tony, 4.75. Okay. Glenn? All right. So as I said earlier, I really was worried when I watched the trailer for this and I was like, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to really hate this thing. And I really didn't hate it at all. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Like I was watching it going, I can't believe how much I'm enjoying this. And, you know, like you guys said earlier, I can really say, yep, it gives me the same kind of vibe as Silence of the Lambs. You know, it gives me the same kind of vibe as Psycho. And that's saying something like that's those that's impressive company to keep as far as I'm concerned. Um, if you like scary movies, you're going to love this because it doesn't feel dated. In fact, it felt kind of now to me in mm -hmm. a lot of ways, um, you know, for better or for worse, it felt kind of now to me. Um, and I really appreciated a little bit of the comedy that they threw in, but the scares, it's not the jump scare that gets you. It's, it's the slow burn and it was good. And I gave it a 4.5. 4.5. All right. <clears throat> so um, first, Tony, thank you for, uh, for bringing this movie to us. Cause I'm really glad I got to see it. Um, I normally wouldn't say that. Like I wasn't super pumped about watching um, Halloween. <laughs> and the only reason I was so passionate with my final thoughts is because this movie made me think and it made me want to see more and, it really impressed itself on me and it forced me to really think and it forced me to really put my best review I could into it. I felt like it deserved it. So thanks for bringing the movie to us. It was a great movie. And uh, my 3.0 with Delin's 4.75 and uh, Tony's 4.75, Delin's 4.5. I'm going to give this movie, and you know what? I'm even going to bump mine up another half because it's worth it. It was fucking great. Let's give this movie... Four point. Stop, Tony's gone. He won't hear it. He's it's a cliffhanger oh, no. for Tony. <laughs> we lost him again. 
<laughs> Poor Tony got cliff hung on my score. All right, so I'm going to give this one 4.50. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, so this one gets 4.50, four and a half rewatches. It's an awesome Christmas movie. This is the second time we've lost Tony right on the score. At least we got his score this time, right? I know, right, right. Okay, so um, first of all, I want to thank you, Dylan, because you know I love watching movies with you and I love discussing with you. I want to thank Tony, even though he's not here anymore. For, yeah, he'll listen uh, later. He'll this, hear you, thank. Yeah, for bringing this movie to us and um, – and you know, doing the reviews with us, and of course, the listeners that come and listen to the show and support us. Thank you. Hope you guys all have a merry Christmas. And I want to um, give the results for the contest that we were running for the New Year's Eve show. And the winner was Mark Kitchen, who chose Galaxy Quest. He says it's a family favorite. And um, yeah, so we're going to review Galaxy Quest next week with. The podcaster who is always returning from the dispensary with a fully packed bong, Pat, and his vast opinions. So we'll be doing that one. <clears throat> we'll be doing that one next week. And uh, <clears throat> like I always say, please. Oh my God! I'm, I'm someone's choking. Help! Help! Ah! Go check out the Facebook page and join the group. Sip hey, would you? Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> go. Go join the Facebook group. Hey, did you ever see that movie? And we also have a website, which is Lynn. No, it's a Gmail, honey. Um, it's hey, did you ever see that movie at gmail.com? So you can feel free to drop us a line if you would like us to do a movie or just want to say hi. We would love to hear from you. And, you know, if uh, anyone's got some feedback and want to give it to us, we're always open to hear it. Yeah, and I also want to give a shout out to Mickey, one of our other co-hosts who is now doing the graphics for our weekly podcast, which you can see on the Facebook um, group page. She's doing an awesome job and she's bringing a little class to this dirty dog. So thanks, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, until next time, let me ask you one question. Hey, did you ever see that movie? See you later. Hmm. Mm. What is that? Mm. Who are you, Billy? Mm. Huh? <laughs> I think the question is, who's Billy? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, if you guys will excuse me, I just have to run down to my toilet bowl and grab a cool drink for the show. <laughs> what? Yeah. Did you guys watch the movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, why don't I get it? I don't get it. You don't I'm... remember her fishing her booze bottle out of her Oh! Uh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't that funny anyway. <laughs> Just like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> okay. I thought that was going to land a little better. But... <laughs> as, as you feel about most of your jokes. Yeah, I know. 